0: So I didn't pay for any of the rehab costs up front and I didn't swing a single hammer. I didn't cut a blade of grass. I didn't do anything at all on this property. Um, Now I only made 50% of the profit because I partnered with this contractor 50-50, but I spent little to no time.
1: Look, we all know investing in the U.S. real estate can be incredibly rewarding. But it can be pretty overwhelming if you're just getting started in this podcast we will journey through the stories of successful real estate investors most of them were just once in our shoes starting with zero investing experience working at a w2 job or even coming from a different country and yet they have managed to build wealth and freedom through real estate my goal here is to equip you with the right mindset strategies and expectations so you can navigate the landscape of real estate investing with confidence. Welcome to the First Gen Real Estate Podcast. I'm your host, Austin Wong. What's going on, everyone? Welcome back to another episode of the First Gen Real Estate Podcast. In today's episode, we're all going to be talking about how to get started in real estate while you have a W-2 job. In this episode, we're joined by the principal of 24 Capital Group, a real estate private equity firm based in Connecticut, specializing in helping investors investing passively in cash-flowing real estate deals. And by the way, he is also a software engineer by trade. Welcome to the show, William Hollis. How are you doing, Hollis? How's it going, Austin? Thanks for having
0: me on, man. I'm happy we're finally able to uh, get together uh, after you know talking through emails
1: and stuff like that for a while. Absolutely, man. Super excited to have you on the show. And I mean before we get started you and I are both software engineers and you know I'm still at the pretty early stage on beginning my real estate career while having a W2 job but you've already made a lot of progress on that front so can you just give us a little bit of background on kind of where you are right now
0: Yeah absolutely so right now um I'm I'm kind of I would say in a in a growth stage you know I went through the whole education period I had the analysis paralysis for a little while um, did like one or two, de- one or two deals, smaller deals. Uh, we did a, a bigger deal last year, a short-term rental portfolio, and now we're looking to expand into more short-term rentals, multifamily, mobile home parks. Um, you know, things that will cash flow for us. As, as you mentioned in my bio, that's kind of my focus. So I'm in a growth stage now, I'm trying to expand a little bit.
1: I love the mindset of you're in the growth stage right now, and you're actually looking at multiple types of different assets from short-term rentals to uh RV that you have mentioned an RV park. So before we get into that, can you just tell us the very first thing that went through your head when you were trying to get started in real estate investing, when it comes to just getting started when you have a W2 job, how do you adjust that, adjust your time, your energy, your mindset? Yeah. So the
0: first thing that came to my mind was I can't do it. Um, that was literally the first thought I had. And then this kind of goes back into my childhood, some of the limiting beliefs that I, I kind of grew up with. Um, you know, Growing up, as a lot of people do, you don't have, don't have a lot of money. I'm from New York, from Queens, New York, Hollis, Queens, in fact, like my last name. Um, and you know, property is expensive there. If you're looking at buying even a single family house, it's already easily half a million dollars for a very modest home. And you know, it's the really average neighborhood. So even as, as I beca- after I became an adult, I just didn't believe that I could actually buy afford to buy real estate. Um, and the biggest mindset shift for me came about when a buddy of mine uh, who I didn't actually know was into real estate, but he called me up one day and says, Hey, I'm going to this real estate meetup um, right around the corner from your house. Do you want to come? I said, Oh wow. Sure. I didn't even know you were, you know, you were interested in real estate. So I go to this meetup and I start to hear about all of the different ways to invest in real estate. Some of them, Um, required very little to no money uh, out of pocket. Some of them are a little bit more creative. Some of them required a little bit more, you know, pounding the pavement, uh, kind of boots on the ground type of work. And so once I was at that conference and I heard about all these different possibilities, that's when the wheels really begin to turn like, oh, wow, this might actually be possible for me to do. So I think that's really is, is a great first step is, kind of getting outside of your own head. You know what I mean? Um, Get outside your comfort zone and learn about what the different um, ways to get into the game are.
1: I love that. And I think that with that mindset shift is how a lot of people started to think that, oh, this is possible for me. This is doable for me. Let me see how exactly this works. Now, when it comes to having that transition, what is it, is there anything that is really frustrating to you when you were trying to get started. You mentioned about analysis paralysis, but what was it? What was about it that made you feel really hard to actually get started to take that action?
0: Oh man, the, the fear. So I got my, I got my start wholesaling, right? So for anybody who doesn't know what that is, basically you're uh, flipping contracts um, to sell a house. So you get a house, you you um, negotiate the price down to where you have a little bit of a spread and you actually sell your rights to, to that house to someone else for a little bit of a profit. Now with that, it's not quite real estate investing per se, cause you don't really take any ownership, but it is real estate activity if you wanna call it that. Right. So with that type of um, transaction, there's a, there are a few moving pieces. And if everything doesn't you know fall into place at the correct time, then the deal will fall through you know, you can ruin your reputation, perhaps, or that's what I'm thinking in my head, like, oh, no one's ever going to trust me if I don't like make every deal happen. If I don't follow through on every single lead, it's all going to fall apart. and It's going to be terrible. Um, (laughs) So those types of thoughts were really what kept me from, you know, taking meaningful action for a long time.
1: Wow. So and after overcoming that, what is the inflection point where you're like, Oh this is actually working. This is something that I can scale and I see the benefit of doing that. Let me put more energy on scaling my real estate portfolio rather than focusing on this current job that I have.
0: Yeah, um so really it's getting that first deal done. Um you know, it it's it's a little bit tough to get over those to get over those mental hurdles and for somebody like you know, guys like us who really focus on the analysis, that really can bind you up for a little while because during your analysis, uh, you look looking at everything that could go well, but also you see all these other things that could go terribly
1: and just like- A thousand <laughs> ooh, percent, a thousand percent.
0: <laughs> and so now you don't want to move, right? Um, so you have to get, get over those first things. And so start small, honestly, start small. And this is something I did and I still kind of do even to, the, to this day. I will trade money for education. So what I mean by that is sometimes when you're doing a deal the more money you try to make the less money somebody else is going to make right if you take just a simple flip project for example if i'm trying to you know squeeze every nickel out of the deal the seller who i'm negotiating with the property i'm trying to buy that person is going to make less money now will it work? will the negotiation succeed maybe but if i say hey i'm going to leave some money on the table just because I know if I do, I'm more likely to get a yes from them. Mm -hmm. And then on this other side, when I go to sell it, I'm going to get a yes from them. For the sake of getting myself going, I'm willing to
1: say I'll take less money and we'll get the deal done. Because it's really about getting started and getting that momentum going, especially when you are so fresh in the game. And I love this point because... Oh my God, when we interview our guests, there's a, many very established uh, guests on the show. And a lot of the times it, as listeners, even as the person who is interviewing them, I'm like, how is, how is it gonna help me to understand kind of what you're doing now because you're already so established. So I'm, I'm loving the, the fact that we're having this conversation about the very kind of nuanced things that we needed to think about to address in order to just get the very first thing started to get our go, to get ourselves going.
0: That's it. And and it's it's so important because literally once you get that first one done, you're like, Oh wow, this actually does work. Like the seller wanted to sell me the house and the buyer wanted to buy the house. And then, you know, at the, at scale right now, where we're doing these larger deals and we're trying to, um, you know, get investors and who say, "Hey, I'll take a smaller I'll decrease my fees to make the the returns more favorable, and then you get that first deal done, you say, "Oh wow, investors people do want to invest in real estate
1: <laughs> so let's talk about this idea between software engineers and or any person who has a w two that occupies a lot of their time for that matter, who have a corporate job pretty established, having good cash flows, not cash flows per se from <laughs> from from the assets, but you know, from cash flow from your job, to trying to build their own real estate portfolio. What are some of the things that is there anything that misconception about this process or anything that you just find people don't get, that you really need people to get in order to make that transition?
0: Yeah, 100%. I think, and I talk about this all the time, you can own 10% of $100,000, or you can own 100% of $10,000. It's the same number.
1: Expand on that. What do you mean by that?
0: So oftentimes, we whenever, (laughs) I'm a DIY guy. I'll start there. I'm a DIY guy you probably won't find somebody more DIY than me. I remodeled my own house. I have no background in construction at all. I just YouTubed it to death until I figured it out. I used to do my wife's hair, her extensions in her hair, everything, because I said, I don't want to pay for it. I'll just do it myself. Like I YouTubed it, figured it out, came out excellent. And I find a lot of times um, people take that same approach when it comes to real estate investing. We say, okay, I'm going to go be a landlord or I'm going to go flip houses. That means I'm going to go swing some hammers. I'm going to go find some properties. I'm going to go do all of these steps, right? Because we know there's so many steps into the deal. And in our mind, we're like, oh yeah, this is going to get me my $10,000, but it's going to take so much work because that $10,000 is 100% on you versus if you look at a larger project and you say, you know what, I'm going to take one role or responsibility I'm going to go find some partners, find somebody to bring me deals. I'm going to find somebody to manage properties. I'm going to find somebody to do my rehabs. Now I'm I'm giving away pieces of the the pie, right? I'm giving away pieces of the pie, but now I only need 10% of effort and I get the same result. So now it's much, it's much more scalable. I have my 10% of hundred thousand dollars. I still got $10,000, but it just took me a tenth of the work <laughs> because I decided to partner up uh, with others. So especially when you have a W2, you have so so precious little time. It's important to get that through your head that you don't need to own the entire pie in order for it to be a success.
1: I love this point about you mentioned that our time is very scarce when we have a full time job and we're trying to start off something else that would you know, hopefully eventually get us out of that. and. While we're making this transition, you need to find a way that really leverage your time to the T so that you don't have to make, make, uh, to do things that are, I guess, from an hourly rate perspective, less than what you are making, right? If, if you have a pretty good W2 job that pays you, I don't know, $50, $100 an hour, then you want to make sure that the things that you do are more valuable than $50, $100 an hour. And so can you give one example of a deal that you've done that you have executed this concept?
0: Oh, 100%. Um, so I think we're, we're talking about it before we, we started recording the flip that I did last year. Um, I actually, uh, it kind of fell on my lap, but it, it fell on my lap because I don't source my own deals. I try my best not to leave this armchair when possible. <laughs> this seat right here is where I make the where I make the money. So, um I have people who send me deals and this deal came through. So that's one thing off of my plate. I don't go out to see properties. Um people send me deals. I have uh relationships with local realtors who I can go who I can, who I can send to go take more pictures and tour the property or even by video with uh, for me um uh, if need be. And then on the, the rehab side, I run all the numbers um myself because that's one of my one of my strong suits is um due diligence and analytics. So I handle that side of it. But then when it comes to the rehab, I part I partnered, 50% partnered with a contractor. So I didn't pay for any of the rehab costs up front, and I didn't swing a single hammer, I didn't cut a blade of grass, I didn't do anything at all on this property. Um, now I only made 50% of the profit because I partnered with this contractor 50, 50, but I spent little to no time. The most time I spent on this property was, it was in a small town and I had to actually get up and drive to the lawyer's office to sign the papers
1: (laughs) in person. That was the most time I spent on the deal. This is amazing. And let me just pick up this piece by piece a little bit. So basically what you done is that you've developed those relationships of people who can send you deals, people who can work on the rehab, and you leverage your own skill sets to be the numbers guy to make sure that everything checks out from your desk. Now, even before having this setup, how did you develop this relationship? What is the very first thing that you did that actually got even got this system going? Because what you've said, it sounds simple, but it is a very strong system you developed.
0: Yeah, yeah, for sure. So there's two things you can do. um, And I I suggest everybody to do one is go to your local uh, real estate meetups, your local real estate uh, investors association, or if if you just go on like meetup.com or Eventbrite or whatever, you'll find tons of real estate meetups. Go to those meetups, get a bunch of business cards for people in these different sectors, right? You want realtors, you want experienced realtors. This is a gem. This is a secret right here. You want experienced realtors and you want newbie realtors. You want both.
1: Why Experienced
0: that? realtors will bring you good deals, but they're busy people. They're not going to go to the property three times for you to take some extra pictures and like do a virtual video tour with you. You know who will do that? Newbie. A new realtor. They don't have anything to do. They just want to. They, they just want to get in the game. So I get. I, I got the deal from an experienced realtor. I called up a new realtor and I said, "Hey, I'll give you fifty dollars to go take some in-depth pictures of this property. Here, here are all the things I want you to take pictures of." So that's why you want to have both. Then at the same event, you get the contractors' information, right? You get contractors' information, and the best thing you can do for a contractor is refer them other business. So. Mm-hmm. With this contractor, this is the first job he actually did for me. But I looked on his uh, website, his Facebook page. I saw he did good work. So I sent other people to him. And people said, hey, do you have a contractor in such and such a place? I sent people to him. Now, he and I had a good relationship. Before we even really did any work together, he and I had a good relationship. So that built that relationship strong. And then on the disposition side, um, honestly, I just found the realtor who sold the most homes in that in that area and just called them up and said <laughs> list my property
1: that is amazing and and the fact that you are actually out there and developing those relationships and providing value to them so that you can get the system going i think that's like the toughest part to get started for a lot of people because like you said this is you you want to leverage your time but at the same time when you're getting started you're not going to see those you're not going to see those values right away, and sure. you you have to really kind of make sure that you have you have enough investment in it to nail down this part of the system. And once you're once you're bypassed that, everything else seems to be just a matter of scaling versus you know never getting started.
0: Yeah, 100, 100. And and you you hit the nail on the head. It Really, when you talk about bringing value to people, I know like add value is a buzzword these days. But it's very simple. Everybody is doing, is in the game for a reason. Nobody is doing something for nothing, right? So as we interact with different people or we have, we would need different people, it's just a matter of understanding, okay, what does this person want? Like wh- why are they participating in whatever it is that they're participating in, right? If you're a realtor, you want deals, you need deal flow, you need buyers, you need sellers. So if I can Provide if I can provide one of those pieces for you, I'm adding value to you, you know, and, and so that goes for every everybody along the way.
1: This is very powerful what you've said, and I have this question in my mind. I just, I've got to ask. So you and I, we are both software engineers, and we all work in the W two at probably a corporate environment. And from that perspective, the things that we do from day to day, it almost trains our mind in a way to think in a certain way, to make sure that we cover all grounds, we don't make any mistake before we actually take any actions. And did you have to do any work to alter that mindset such that you have this idea in your mind like, oh, I'm actually going to go out there to provide value to people to establish those relationships? Because those are not the things that we necessarily think about or trained to have in our mind what are some of the things you needed to do to kind of get that part of the mind going
0: yeah that's a great question and honestly it's still something that I struggle with because I think I have kind of two things going against me like I said I'm I'm a very um, DIY type of person like self-motivated I think I can do anything myself Um, and at the same time I have that software engineering like analytical mind that makes it difficult to delegate things anyway because I'm I don't trust people to do it right. <laughs> I've gotta do it. Yes. <laughs> so um it's it's constant it's constant work. I think I still struggle with that, you know, even now in my business, like I'm you know, you need a website. Do you hire somebody or do you do it yourself? I can definitely build a website in my sleep, and I'm like, oh man, it's gonna I could do it so much better, but it's gonna take me so much time. It's like this catch constant, um constant catch twenty-two. I, I think one thing I have legitimately learned, and this is going to sound a little cliche, but honestly, if you come if you look at things from a viewpoint of helping other people, you will make money eventually, and that's been something I've actually experienced. Um, I have I've had deals where, again, like I said, I left money on the table not so much because I didn't think the deal would go through, but because I saw the person actually could benefit from this extra assistance um, and. Approaching it like that kind of separates it a little bit from the analysis to say, okay, let me just make this more about uh, people than it is necessarily about, you know, the money side of things. Um, And that's helped with it a little bit. But to be honest, it is 100% still something that I struggle with. And, um, you know, day by day, you just try to always uh, analyze yourself and, 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 you know, reflect and see how you can improve.
1: I love that. I absolutely love that because when it comes to, like when you said that, when we get started, we have to, everybody have to get past that educational phase of reading all the podcasts, reading all the books, listening to watching YouTube videos, listening to podcasts. And once you get past that is the action time. And how do you get to that action time is a lot of times what, you know, prevented us to go to the next phase. So yeah. from that perspective, do you have an advice um, for people who are getting started who are similar to your shoes when you're getting started while having a W2 job? What are some of the things that they should start doing?
0: Yeah, for sure. One, um, I'll say it again, partner, partner, partner. Time is really valuable and you don't have... So it's hard to do, especially once you enter the professional environment where your job is not just you know nine to five, but it's also you know, as a software engineer, your mind is doing that stuff all the time, man. I'm, I I code in my sleep. I code in the shower. It's like my mind is always, always racing. It's a, I'm actually pretty good at coding my sleep, by the way. I get some really good ideas. <laughs> <laughs> I bet. <laughs> Been there. <laughs> so um having a partner, one, it has just like a level of accountability there, right? So if you have a partner uh, and in your business, and you say, okay, our goal is to do, you know, five deals this month, and you have your action items and, and steps and things that you need to go through. Well, you can't just sit on the sidelines. And your partner's going <laughs> to look at you and say, hey, man, what have you been up to? Right. So that's one thing. It helps with the accountability, it helps to take some of the load off of your plate a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, and the other thing, start small. You don't need to go too crazy and find what you're good at. Really try to do your best. And it takes a while. It's not going to be, you know, the first time you're not going to get it right. But try to understand what is the skill that I bring to the table that somebody else will legitimately find valuable and I can plug a hole for them Um, and I'll get a small piece of the pie. I'm not going to get the whole pie, but also I don't have infinite time, right? So um, really understanding your unique ability and leveraging that
1: to the full. And what has that unique ability been for you? Sure.
0: So, I'm a little bit odd. I would say Okay. So, I learned this I learned this maybe 2 years ago. Um I'm very comfortable with public speaking. I'm very comfortable explaining uh complex concepts in a very simple way for people who are from a totally different industry as part of my job as a software engineer. That's what I do, right? You have to explain why a specific use case isn't going to work to the business line owner who doesn't know anything about JavaScript exactly. or Python or any of this stuff. Yep. And it's like, listen, these two systems don't talk well to each other, you know, communicate well with each other. So I didn't realize that was a skill though, because it was something I'd always done. Like I'd been doing it for years. And um, a mentor of mine told me, he's like, listen, man, you have a real ability uh, in this area. Try to leverage that. And then the other side, the other thing I've, learned that I'm also um, decent at is the analysis. I love due diligence because that's the way my brain works is just the logical, if then Excel spreadsheets, formulas, all that type of stuff. So um, those two skills have been the things that I've tried to to lean on
1: um, in, in this business. I love your answer, especially when you specifically hinted on the fact that, oh, this is something that my mentor, my mentor need to tell me that this is actually something I'm very good at. Because for a lot of us who are in this type of place, we usually were very smart, intelligent, book smart. And when we're kind of in that situation, we continue to do what we're doing, thinking that it's nothing, it's very regular. But in all honesty, it's something that we have trained very diligently that is becoming our unique ability when we're working with other people. And that is something that I don't think that we should take lightly. And like, do you feel that? Like, it's almost like an imposter syndrome in a way that we
0: need 100%, 100%. And and for all the software engineers out there listening to this, um, maybe, I don't know if you've had this experience before, but have you ever seen someone who's come from a different field, say hospitality or- you know sales or whatever the case may be and they decide to do a midlife pivot into software engineering right and yes. it's yes. not it's not that they yeah. don't know how to code but their minds don't work the same which can be a good thing right you get abstract different right. different solutions it's, it's totally it's not a knock on the on people who make that transition but there is a skill developed from training having trained your mind to think in this Very logical, progressive manner over a long period of time. And to your point, it's something that because we're working with other software engineers, we're all speaking the same language. We're speaking the same cadence. We just assume, like, oh yeah, everybody thinks like this. Like problem solving, (laughs) this is what we do. But it is a skill. And to your point, we kind of have a bit of a imposter syndrome there. Like, oh, there's nothing special about that. And I I didn't think there was either until my mentor was like, no, dude, like. You don't get it. People, especially if you're able to think in that way and also communicate well, right? Because to your point, if you're book smart, sometimes we, you know, we have the, we have the uh, stereotype <laughs> of the nerd <laughs> in the dark room, can't make eye contact, right? <laughs> right? But if you're able to uh, clearly articulate yourself and, and convey ideas and you have the mind to understand the complex concepts, that is 100% a skill.
1: I love that. I absolutely love that because it it's almost a realization where starting in real estate, it's not while having a W2 job, it's not like you're restarting the whole thing that you have to start from scratch. There's actually, if you make it clear in your head on what you can leverage from your existing skill sets, and that actually puts you in such a good spot for you to get started. And a lot of the times we really need to make the conscious effort to make that switch and only then you realize, oh, I'm actually I can leverage what I have, leverage the time and the money, the skill sets that I have to start something far greater, far quickly than you know, with without having that skill set. And yeah, I appreciate yeah. you making that point. That's actually very very powerful to a lot of people.
0: It's like you. It's like it's almost like using frameworks in a programming yes. language, right? Yeah. If and 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 I say this all the time about about software engineers and really anybody who, who codes, once you understand how computers and logic work, you can kind of pick up any programming language, right? Okay, you go from Python to JavaScript to C Sharp, whatever. Your if statement is going to be the same thing. It's going to be if, do this, uh, if this condition, then do this, else some condition. Like, yep. you're going to type it the same. The syntax is going to, be, it's going to be different, but the logic is still going to be there, right? And exactly. So when you switch to a new coding language or you're learning a new language, you're not quite starting from zero. If you know another coding language, you're not quite starting from zero because while you may not know the syntax, you know the logic, the the principles behind it. And you hit the nail on the head when you talk about leveraging your skills that you already have, because then basically what you're doing is transferring principles and learning new syntax, right? You're in a new field, sure right? I'm it's real estate. It's different than software, but in software, I use these principles to debug my code. This is how I go through and make sure there are no bugs in my code. Take that same logic and apply it to your due diligence. And it works exactly the same, right? It's like, it's just different syntax on
1: the uh, built on the same principles. Man. I'm enjoying this episode too much for it to end. (laughs) Can't believe that we are already at time, you know? Um, (laughs) Wow. Thank you so much for that. I think that principle of the context, that's very important for us to understand, to not undermine ourselves when we're starting something new. And that is all of those negative chatters that sometimes we don't realize. And when we realize we need to address it. And I think you address it perfectly. So before we end this episode, where can people reach out to you and ask questions and just to get to know you more?
0: Yeah, absolutely. I'm at REI Hollis on any social media platform. I'm basically everywhere. Um, I'm most active on LinkedIn and Instagram though. So um, go ahead, follow me, send me a DM. I answer every single DM that I get personally. Um, So at REI Hollis
1: on social media. Thank you so much, Hollis. I've got to have you on another episode at some point. And thank you guys for listening. See you guys in the next one. If you enjoyed this episode, please share with someone who you know would find value. I would be so grateful if you can subscribe and leave a review. Make sure you join us for the next one.